Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. It's good to be together this week where we celebrate giving thanks. And, and I find one of the, the key litmus tests for my own heart is just to go, how thankful to the Lord am I right in this moment? And that often reveals uh, my own heart, the own darkness of my own heart. It, it reveals how I maybe think I deserve things. It might, it might reveal my own pride rather than a joy and thankfulness to the Lord. And so this morning we're going to be talking about I'm thankful. Uh, we're going to be talking about I'm thankful because it's often very hard to be thankful when life just beats you down and you want situations to be different and you want your circumstances to be different. It's challenging to stay thankful. It's, I, I think of it almost like a spiritual discipline to cultivate a thankful heart. It's hard, isn't it? You there with me or is it just me? Okay, you're all, you're all there with me. All right, and you know, there was this thing that happened in January of 2015. Um... Marshawn Lynch, who was running back for Seattle Seahawks, nickname was Beast Mode. And Marshawn is a big man. He was a great running back when he was playing. And he kept having these run-ins with the media because he just didn't want to talk to them. And the NFL said, if you do not talk to the media after the game, we will fine you. And Marshawn did not like that because he just did not want to talk to the media and so he had this really funny interview almost in January of 2015 where he's surrounded by the press and they keep asking him questions, but he doesn't want to talk to him, but he doesn't want to not talk to him because then he'll get fined. And he says this really funny phrase. Go ahead and pay, play the video. Maybe one of the most awkward interviews of all time, but there is Mar- Marshawn surrounded by his problems, right? And all he can muster out is, I'm thankful. But the funny thing is, it, it, it kind of didn't seem like he really was thankful. It, it sounded like he was just trying to get the words out, because as soon as that interview was over, he was gone. He was thankful to be out of the interview. But, but I, you know, for me, I don't want to just say I'm thankful. I really want to develop a deep thankfulness in my own heart. You know, I want to be a thankful person. I, I don't want to teach my kids just to say thank you to you all when you help them. I want them to really be thankful people. And one of the challenges is when we just say be thankful, it doesn't really, what do we, how do we be thankful? What do we find to be thankful about? Today as we look at Psalm 118, we're not going to just say, hey everybody, go home and be thankful this week. We're going to let the scriptures actually work thankfulness in, into our hearts this week. Psalm 118 was the psalm about giving thanks. And it was meant to be said in worship in like a call and response way. And so that's how we're going to read it today. It's actually 29 verses long, but we're going to read the beginning and the end, and then we're going to work through the middle and see how this psalm actually works thankfulness in us. So could you say Psalm 118 with me? I'll I'll say the normal parts. You say the bold. Psalm 118 says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Let Israel say, Let the house of Aaron say, Let those who fear the Lord say, 
And then at the end of the chapter, it says, You are my God. You are my God. Give thanks to the Lord. Amen. One of the greatest challenges to being thankful is learning not necessarily to look at your circumstances, but to look at the character of God. Because if you look at your circumstances, your circumstances will change. Things at times will be better. Things at times will be worse. And if you're only thankful when things are better, you will be unthankful when things are worse. Life changes, life goes up and down, but God's character never changes. God's character never changes, and that's where the psalmist starts off. In verse 1, he says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. If you could put verse 1 up there. If I say God is good, you say all the time. First of all, the psalmist tells us to be thankful because God is good. Now, we've lost the meaning of the goodness of the word good. Like you come home and you tell your kids, hey, I love you. How was your day? And they go, good, which means nothing. They don't, they don't tell you anything. They might as well just said fine. But good means something in the Bible. Good means something. It, it means something about God's character, that, that our God is the God who's merciful and he's gracious and he's slow to anger, and he loves people, and he loves to see sinners repent through Jesus Christ, and he hates evil, and he loves justice and righteousness, and he loves all that stuff because he's good. Our God is good. And so when he created this world, he created it so that it would be good as well. He made the seas and the stars and the plants and the animals, and it was all good. When you and I walk around Hollywood Beach, we look out at the ocean, we go, That is good. For me, when I look at the creation, it's particularly when the sun is rising and there's a palm tree silhouette in front of the sunrise. That's when I go, I'm pulling out my phone. I'm putting that on Instagram stories because that's good. God is good and he makes a good creation and you are part of that creation, which means he made you in his image. You have dignity and worth because you were created by a good God. You might think that you're worthless, but that's not true because God is good and he makes good stuff. He made a good creation and he made you in his image. And if you're part of his people through Jesus, not only can you say, my God is good, but you can say, my God is full of faithful love that endures forever. His faithful love endures forever. Faithful love, that word in the Hebrew is hesed. And that keeps coming up in our church. That came up when we talked about Mephibosheth and David earlier this year and when we talked about Ruth and Naomi last year. But that faithful love, it's like a relationship but with more commitment. It's like giving and committing your love to someone else in a way that you can't back out. It's a covenantal love. And the best representation we have of that is marriage. But we get the idea of marriage from God's hesed love. God steps in and with his people, he commits his love to them and says, I will give them my faithful love. And in fact, he's so committed to give us his most genuine love that he loves us with the same type of love that he loves his beloved son with. In John 17, before Jesus goes to the cross, he prays in verse 23 and he says, 
Father, you have loved them. The them is you. You have loved them as you have loved me. God's faithful love is so loving and so committed and so faithful that God loves his people with the same love that he loves his son. That's amazing. And when you begin to let that sit into your own heart, it changes you. It changes you from the inside. Brennan Manning said, when someone is aware of that love, the same love that the Father has for Jesus, that person is just spontaneously grateful. Cries of thankfulness become the dominant characteristic characteristic of the interior life. You, you, You see what's happening. We're learning how to be thankful based on who God is rather than what happens in our life. What happens in our life goes up and down, but God's faithful love never changes. It endures for how long? Forever. When life circumstances go my way, I can be thankful. But when life circumstances don't go my way, I can still be thankful because God's love is still for me. And even when life circumstances are bad, you can cry out to God because he listens. Because he loves you. You can cry out to God because he loves you. In verse 5 and 6, we start to see that the person writing the psalm is stepping into some problems. He says in verse 5 and 6, I called to the Lord in distress, and the Lord answered me and put me in a spacious place. The Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. What can a mere mortal do to me? First of all, I want you to notice one thing. He doesn't use the word God. He uses the word the Lord. The Lord is a special way of using God's covenantal name. That means the name, his personal name that he gives to his people that represents all of his character, that represents all of his commitment to us. If you know your Hebrew, you know the word is Yahweh. And what the text is saying is not that I called to some ambiguous God out there, but I called to Yahweh in my distress. Yahweh is the one who promised to crush the serpent's head. He is the God who chose a people for himself. He's the one who redeems sinners. He's the one who promises to return at the end of time and make all things new. When you cry out to the Lord in your distress, you're not crying out to some ambiguous idea of God out there somewhere. You're calling out to Yahweh, the God who is committed himself to his people. And you can say, I'm thankful because that God is for me. That God is for me. The Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. What can a mere mortal do to me? Well, that's interesting, isn't it? What can a mere mortal do to me? Because what he's saying is, what can people do to me? But most of our problems are people, right? Most of our problems come from people. People disrespect us, and people hurt us, and, and people rob us, and people fire us from our, their jo- our jobs, and people might even take our life. But the psalmist has come to a new level of thankfulness where he sees God's commitment to him even if he loses his life. And in the midst of 
his life being on the line, he still finds thankfulness in God's unchanging character. In Matthew 10, Jesus says this, don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. See, you might lose your life, but your soul is in God's hands. And right in that moment when he says he can destroy your soul and body in hell, you go, wait a minute, does he love me? But Jesus goes on and says, wait a minute, aren't two sparrows sold for one penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid. You are worth far more than many sparrows. If you know Jesus, the Lord of the universe is for you. People might do some stuff to you. All your problems might be from people, but God is on your side. God is your helper. That's what he says in verse 7. The Lord is my helper, therefore I will look in triumph on those who hate me. Notice that the Lord is his reference point in the midst of his problems. He sees his problems through the lens of his relationship with God rather than his relationship with God through the lens of his problems. And he knows that the Lord is his helper. Romans 8 says, if God is for us through Jesus Christ, then who can be against us? It's better to have problems and have a relationship with Jesus than it is to not have problems and only rely on people. That's what he says next in verse 8 and 9. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humanity. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in nobles. And he's not saying this out of nowhere. He's not saying this theoretically because we're about to find out the person writing the psalm has got problems. In verse 10 through 13, he says this, all the nations surrounded me. Now, we don't know specifically who's writing this. It could be a king of Israel who's surrounded by all these enemies who are trying to crush him and his army. It could be Nehemiah who's rebuilding the wall and keeping an eye over his back because nations are coming to crush the wall of Jerusalem that he's trying to rebuild. We don't know, but we do know that this person has problems. And he says, all the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. Verse 12 through 13. They surrounded me like bees. That's not an image that I would like to put myself into. They were distinguished like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. They pushed me hard to make me fall, but the Lord helped me. This person is surrounded by problem, literally people trying to kill him. But rather than blaming the Lord for his problems, he takes action while relying on the Lord. He takes a step of faith forward while putting his trust in the Lord and God delivers him. He asks God to save him in the midst of his problems, and God does. And he's so thankful that he doesn't just go live life forgetting what the Lord did for him. He actually stays and celebrates what the Lord has done for him. He says, I'm thankful, so I'm going to celebrate. First of all, he celebrates who God was in his trouble. In verse 14, he says, 
The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is the very same line that Moses sang after the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt in the Red Sea. The very same line. And I love that he says, the Lord is my strength and my song, because in the midst of trials and hardships and problems, you and I are so tempted to look to other things to find strength. Are we not? We look for strength in other things in the midst of our problems. We look for strength by gaining control. We look to find comfort by running to our addictions. We try and escape the problems through seeking pleasure, and we end up frantic. But here we see that in the midst of his problems, the Lord is his strength, and the Lord is his song. And he cries out for the Lord to deliver him, and the Lord does. The Lord saves him. And he continues to celebrate in verse 15 and 16. He says, there are shouts of joy and victory in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand performs valiantly. The Lord's right hand is raised. The Lord's right hand performs valiantly. The the, the right hand of a king was the battle hand. It was the hand that held the sword. And what he's saying is there's nothing like the battle hand of the Lord. Do you know that in the midst of your trials and difficulties? If the Lord is for you, if the Lord is your helper, if the Lord is your strength, He can do so much more in your life in the midst of trials and challenges because of his strong right hand. There's nothing that's stronger than the right hand of the Lord. And so the psalmist celebrates who God was in his problems, but he also celebrates what God did in his problems. See, his problem was he might have gotten killed. But in verse 17, he celebrates. He says, I will not die but I will live. Because the Lord saved him. And the Lord doesn't save him just so he can go do what he wants to do. The Lord saves him so that he can proclaim what the Lord has done. That he can give thanks and celebrate that God spared his life. But then the psalmist says something interesting. In verse 18, it's almost like he takes a detour and he says, the Lord disciplined me severely but did not give me over to death. It it seems kind of strange to say that, to celebrate the Lord's discipline in his life when the Lord has just saved him by his strength. And the reason that he's celebrating the Lord's discipline is because God used all those problems in his life to change who he was on the inside. See, oftentimes our problems are not pointless. They're tools by God to refine us and shape us and make us more like Jesus and help us see what really matters and to love more deeply and to get the idols out of our heart. The problems that we go through are not pointless. God uses them to shape us. That's what the word discipline means. Discipline is not vengeance. Vengeance, if you receive vengeance for your shortcomings, you would be put on the cross with Jesus. But Jesus went to the cross to take God's full wrath for sin. So there is no more wrath left for you. 
So anything God does in your life is not because he's pouring out the wrath that you deserve for your sin. It's because he loves you and he's trying to shape you and make you more like Jesus. The Lord disciplined me severely but did not give me over to death. In Hebrews 12, the author says, My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Can you learn to be thankful in the midst of your problems? Not just when you get out of the problems, but in the midst of them, knowing that God is using your problems to change you and shape you and make you more like Jesus. That's a deep thankfulness, isn't it? I'm not saying that you have to enjoy the problem. But can you see the Lord's faithful love in the midst of your problem? That he shapes and disciplines the ones that he loves, not the ones that he hates. He changes the ones that he loves to make them more like Jesus. And when you begin to see that, it's not fun to go through, but when you begin to see that, you go, I'm thankful because I'm not the person I used to be before I went through this problem. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. And so the psalmist celebrates not only who God was, but what God did. And all that turns into a heart of thankful worship. See, the psalm changes tone right now, and we get the sense that this, the writer is like in a band of people, in a parade of people, heading towards the presence of God in the temple. They're, they're, moving, they're moving towards the temple in the presence of God, and that's helpful by itself because when God gets us out of our problems, we tend to go, thank you, I'll see you later, rather than going, how can I get closer to God? See, in verse 19 and 20, the psalmist says, Open the gates of righteousness for me. I will enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the Lord's gate. The righteous will enter through it. All that's language about the temple. He's moving towards the presence of God. In verse 21, he says, I will give thanks to you because you answered me and have become my salvation. How many times has he given thanks? Not enough because he keeps doing it. He is genuinely thankful from the heart for what the Lord has done in providing him salvation. Verse 22 and 23, he says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord, and it is wondrous in our sight. He's worshiping God because of something more than deliverance. He's worshiping God because of God's purposes and how God often chooses weak things to shame the strong and how the presence of God is there with them in the temple and how they as Israel were weak but got to be the chosen people of God by grace. This came from the Lord. That's talking about the Lord's grace. And then in verse 24 he says, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Not be wonderful if we woke up every day and said that, but what he specifically means by that is this day of victory. It's a day where God gave him victory over the people trying to kill him. And he's saying, this is the day that the Lord has made. I would not be here if it weren't for the Lord. So I'm going to rejoice and be glad. 
I'm going to continue to worship and celebrate the Lord and soak it in. I love this day of victory because my victory has come from the Lord. And then in verse 26 and 27, he says, Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Remember, he's moving towards the presence of God in the temple. When he says, Lord, save us, that's the Hebrew phrase, Hosanna. And he's saying, we love the salvation of, the, of God. Even though we were in our problems and, and people were surrounding us and it looked like we were going to die, God's salvation is so good and we're here at the temple to celebrate and worship our God. We're so thankful. We're about the name of the Lord God. Verse 27, the Lord is God and has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Here he says, Yahweh is God. Our God is the God. And I will give thanks to him. I will worship him. See, he worships by giving a sacrifice at the altar. In those days, there was a Thanksgiving sacrifice where you could present an animal as a way to say, thank you, God. Like, I'm not expecting anything back from this. I'm just giving because of what you have already done for me. And again, that lesson is, is challenging for us. When the Lord delivers you, a thankful heart says, I don't move away from the Lord or past the Lord like, like he's some sort of genie that I can just rub the bottle and he comes and rescues me and then I, I do something else. No, when the Lord comes and works in your life, when he delivers you and you're thankful, you move towards him and you give him more. Not so that you'll get more, but because he's already given you. Because he's already given you. Romans 12.1 says that in view of the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Did you hear that? Present your life to God as a living sacrifice in light of what he's done for you. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. This is your true worship. This is your true worship. And the amazing thing is that when you give yourself fully to God, it's not like you're giving him more than he's given you. He's given you all of himself. He's given you all of Jesus. He's given you everything that you need for life and godliness. He's put his Holy Spirit in you. He's forgiven all your sins. He's given you all of his grace and all of his mercy and all his forgiveness and all of his love. And anything you do is merely in response to that. And knowing that he has given you all of himself, you're able to look at him and say what the psalmist says in verse 28, you are my God. You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God, and I will exalt you because I'm so thankful for what you've done. See, in the midst of trials and challenges, when you're surrounded by your problems, Yahweh is your God. Through Jesus Christ, he's your God. And listen, thankfulness is tough when your problems are pressing in, but thankfulness ultimately comes not just from a deliverance from the circumstances, but from the fact that Yahweh is your God in the midst of those circumstances. Amen. And he never changes. His character never changes. 
And then in the midst of those problems, you can say what he says in verse 29, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Forever. It doesn't endure when you perfectly walk the Christian life. It doesn't endure when you love somebody well. God's love for you is not dependent on your performance or love for him. The nature of his love is that it endures forever. It's like a light switch that's always on and there's no off button. God's love for his people is always on and it always endures forever. And as you hear that, you can say, man, I am thankful. I'm not just saying it. I feel thankful in my heart because of what God has done and who he is in the midst of my trials, in the midst of my problems. But there's an irony to this passage. Psalm 118 was part of a section of the Psalms called the Egyptian Hallel, which was a a section of the Psalms that was sung at the Passover dinner as a way of saying, thank you, Lord, for delivering Israel. And what that means is that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, when he was gathered in the upper room, he himself sang this psalm, surrounded by people who were about to abandon him and betray him and leave him to hang on that cross by himself. Jesus sang this song, surrounded by problems about to go on the cross and bear the weight of the world for you and for me. And the irony is that Jesus would have sung with his disciples, I will not die but live, knowing that he was living but he was about to die. Jesus would have sang this song saying, Lord, do not give me over to death, knowing that he was about to be given over to death. Jesus would have said, I will give thanks to God for my salvation, knowing that he was about to suffer so that God could bring us salvation. Jesus would have sang about the stone that the builders rejected, knowing that that was talking about him about to be rejected, so that he could be the foundation of God's new family. He would have said, Hosanna, Lord, save us, remembering that that was the very thing that the crowds had shouted at him when he came on that donkey in the Jerusalem. But knowing the next day, the crowds would reject him and choose Barabbas over him. They had waved palms and celebrated his arrival in the Jerusalem, but he was about to be jeered at by the crowds and sent outside Jerusalem to die. Jesus would have given God praise about the sacrifice in the altar, knowing that he was about to sacrifice himself on the cross, and that would be the great and final sacrifice. Jesus would have sung, You are my God, I will give you thanks knowing that the next day he would have said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, there Jesus was at the Last Supper, surrounded by problems, and yet singing and giving thanks to God, looking at the very people who would leave him be, run away in fear, knowing that he was about to bear the weight of sin, for the whole world and facing the wrath of God. Now those are some problems to be surrounded by. And yet Jesus sung with great thanks to the Lord. He raised the cup and gave thanks. And he went to the cross 
willingly for you and for me. Knowing that we could never repay him for what he did. For sinners. For people who forget to be thankful every single day of the year. He went to the cross for us because his love endures forever. Because his love endures forever. See, no matter what problems you are surrounded by today, Jesus' love for you is everlasting. He's good. He went to the cross for thankless people, and he did it giving thanks to God. Give thanks to Jesus, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Would you end right now by standing with me? And let's say those lines that we started off with, but let's say them to Jesus. Give thanks to Jesus, for he is good. You are my God. You are my God. Give thanks to Jesus. Pray with me as the worship team comes back on stage. Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your faithful love and your sacrifice, your love for us, your thankful heart to God exposes our thanklessness. And yet, Lord, we end up thankless every day. Might we be reminded by your goodness and your grace and your mercy that we have so much to be thankful for. We have breath, we have life, we have friends, we have family, but most importantly, we are forgiven because of what you've done. Thank you, Jesus. You are good. Your faithful love endures forever. Amen. Amen. As we sing our last song, uh, if you need prayer and you say, you know, my heart is hard. I need to see the goodness of God again. We will be in the back. We'll be happy to pray for you. There's no shame in knowing that you need prayer to grow in thankfulness because all of us struggle with being thankless before, the God, before God. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.